It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It's episode number 357, uh, which we're going to call this a loving response uh, via the email to the Cultural Hall. No, I don't know what we'll call it. Guns. We'll call it a little bit of guns. We'll call it uh, We'll call it truck driving, maybe, too. Uh, trucking. Trucking, yeah. Yeah, keep trucking. Keep on trucking on. I don't know. Uh, friend of the show. And are you lifer or are you a convert, Dave? Um, I, it's been kind of on and off. I, I don't remember. I don't think I uh, was listening to it from the start, but I listened to it fairly early on, and then there was a period where I had uh, kind of... It drifted away, and then, um, and then for whatever reason, I started following you on Facebook and started noticing topics of discussion and kind of started listening in again. So you fell away, and that's all right. That happens, but now <laughs> renewed in your faith, you've decided to join us again. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, a while back now, uh, to your credit, you emailed me pretty quickly after we talked about, uh, oh, I don't know, whatever school or mass shooting it could have been. We have plenty to be able to pick pick from, but you emailed saying, hey, well, if you ever wanted to have a real discussion about guns, we could certainly do that. And I said, sure, you bet. And we've kind of gone back and forth. Uh, before we get into yeah. any of that, uh, you are, in fact, a truck driver. You said just outside of Omaha, Nebraska right now? Currently, yeah, I'm currently a truck driver. Um, I do have a... I do have a, a background in guns, but yeah, I have a, um, at this moment, I am about to go through truck through Omaha. I'm driving through the uh, Missouri River Valley where there was um, the Missouri River kind of over flooded at banks and uh, kind of buried a couple of some farm properties here, um, I think over a year ago, and a lot of them are still kind of underwater. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's, that's where I'm driving through. It's on the border between uh, Nebraska and Iowa. How long have you been driving truck for? Um, about a year and a half. So, so with it not being a lifelong profession, what was it that you did before, and why are you finding yourself driving truck now? Oh, I've done I've done a lot of things. Um, it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where I I tried a bunch of stuff that didn't work out, and so it kind of came down to like, well, I can drive, I don't get into accidents, and um, so I think we could do that for a while and at least make some make kind of a grown-up wage from that until we can uh, get some of our other plans in order and kind of, you know, get into a better financial situation. But um, as far as my uh, the, the background in, in guns that I have, so in um, we got married at the end of 2006. I was going to the University of Utah, um, going to school there uh, for uh, actually – mass communication degree. Um, I wanted to go into broad, into like broadcast journalism, uh, ended up getting like a public relations, uh, kind of emphasis. Um, but so I was attending the university at the time, got married at the end of 2006. And then on, uh, right around Valentine's day, you know, two months into my marriage, um, there was that shooting at trolley square, which was about a mile down the road from where we lived at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had been working at commuter services, um, doing, uh, parking enforcement and I had gotten onto kind of the, the evening shift. So I was driving around in a, in a truck, listening to the radio and I 
flip the radio, I think, either to KSL or X96 or something, and the DJ alluded to, like, stay away from Trolley Square. You know, you know what's happened. And I and I listened, and I realized that there's been this shooting, and I realized that, like, you know, um, what if I was there with my wife? You know, we, we just we were newlywed. What if we were shopping at Trolley Square? And this guy came through. Uh, so I have to excuse that. I've got my uh, GPS here, and they talk to me periodically. Well, I just this. need I need you to make sure that you turn right coming up. Otherwise, you're going to miss where you're going. Oh yeah, no, I'll go. If I don't turn right, I'll go straight straight through downtown Omaha, which would be a mess. <laughs> so this is this. I'm I'm taking the road around it. Perfect. So it's, it's a lot faster. So but, um, yeah. So, so I, so catch people up, though, because there are probably a lot of people who just hear, oh, shooting at Trolley Square. Give people kind of the background to that particular incident. That particular incident. Okay. Um, there was a guy um, named uh, Suleiman Talovich. He grew up in Bosnia, uh, kind of and emigrated to the, to the U.S. He took a pistol grip um shotgun one day and a I believe a 38 special revolver and then literally a backpack just full of shotgun shells um, took it to Trolley Square uh, parked what? his car in the parking lot and Trolley Square for people it. who don't know it's not just a square it's uh, uh, in olden Utah times it's where a bunch of the trolley cars would park but what it's been converted into now is sort of an indoor and outdoor mall yeah, it used to it used to actually be the like the hub, like the main hub of where they would run the trolleys out of. But it's kind of a boutique mall um, in uh, Salt Lake City that it used to be located right across the street from where the X ninety six studios used to be located. It, anyway, it's a it's a historic kind of mall. So this guy um, this guy went in and started shooting people in the mall. Um, he was able to uh, shoot nine people, and I think with five of them, I ended up dying from that. He was stopped by um, an off-duty uh, Ogden police officer who was having dinner with his wife, who met up with the first responding Salt Lake City police officer, who uh, his name is uh, Oblad, and um, together they, they kind of cornered him into Pottery Barn Kids, and then the Metro gang unit entered the mall, just happened to enter the mall in Pottery Barn Kids and kind of came around the corner and there he was. And they all kind of kind of hosed him and ended the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that but that um, situation had happened. He had, uh, I mean, when the details came out, he had gone into a store where people were hiding, went around to all the different hiding spots, shot a whole bunch of people, and then left the store Um learned from other places he left the store to refill his shotgun then he came back in and shot a couple people again to kind of finish them off and i just remember thinking you know with my with my wife and uh if i was there like what would i do what would i do could i throw my shoes at the guy but what was that going to do so it got me thinking that i needed to have at least some sort of um you know a handgun or something or considered even concealed carry and, and to make clear, I had, um, up to this point, I had, like, I played paintball and stuff when I was a teenager, but my parents were not really gun people. We didn't own guns. I didn't come from a long line of, of shooting. So 
So that kind of started me on my journey. I was able to get a concealed carry permit. I bought a gun. I started carrying. Um, in Utah, you're actually allowed to carry at public schools if you have a concealed carry permit. And so I was I was doing that at the University of Utah and uh, started taking classes. Um, I took a couple of uh, defensive shooting classes. Um, I got out. wasn't able to find a job in my field. I worked at a... Uh, O.C. Tanner for a very short while. Which is a jewelry company for people who don't know. Yeah, they do jewelry and they do like employee incentive reward programs. Um, and I I worked in their kind of their customer service and it turns out I'm terrible at that. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was one of the lower performing people and so when they had bad sales that year that was one of the people that got let go. Um, it wasn't for lack of trying. I just is not some people are not made for customer service. Mm-hmm. So then I so then I started working at Loomis, um, where I was uh, moving, you know, the armored cars where we deliver cash, pick up cash from different businesses, so came around. Um, so I was one of those dudes, and that was actually that was pretty fun. Um, we got a little bit of training from there. By that time, I'd had a couple of pistol classes, so I usually I was usually one of the top dudes to qualify when we would do our shooting qualification. Um, and during that time, I was able to take a class from a, um, a longtime law enforcement and civilian um, trainer named Masad Ayub. Um, I was able to take a class that dealt with uh, kind of ac- accurate shooting as well as um, the legal uh, the legal aspects of, of you know using force and self defense. Um, so that was a very valuable class. Um, uh, after a while, I decided I wanted to try to become a police officer, um, and so I uh, paid, paid my own way through the academy, which was, was basically took up all our savings and tax return. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to get hired as a police officer as at an agency. I think I wasn't as prepared or, you know, I wasn't suited, as suited to be a police officer as I thought I was, but mm-hmm. the, um, the training itself... I was able to complete that, and it was very valuable. It taught me a lot. Um, and I, uh, from there, I, I decided I wanted to teach people this stuff, so I started uh, taking classes to be able to teach concealed uh, carry. Um, a lot of that uh, involves getting to know the laws of use of force, at least in Utah. Um, and then, in the meantime, I've read read as many books as I could as I could afford. I've read as many websites from experts. I listen to, you know, gun podcasts all the time. Not that that's like, you know, you got to listen to the people who are experts, but I've, I've tried to stay up on that. And um, uh, so I feel like I have a, a decent knowledge and a decent understanding of what the recommendations are for, like, for example, dealing with active shooter events. So, so the difficult thing, and I think where we started talking about this was twofold. One, I, I'm sure that the episode that you kind of got connected with us on was one that I was expressing concern about. Okay, well, why do we have to have a million guns? Why does everyone have to feel like they have a gun? And why and why does everyone get a gun? And why do we need to have you know semi-automatic and automatic rifles and that kind of stuff? I think that that was probably one uh, part of the conversation. And then the other part of the conversation was that. Um, this year when the church said, hey, you know what, we by no means want your weapons within the walls of the church, I think that that was another aspect that you wanted to address. So uh, whichever yeah. one of those you would like to discuss, I would love to have you 
uh, start to kind of open up what you think about. Let's start with the church's regulation saying, hey, you know what? Don't bring your guns into the church house. Okay. So the church for a long time has been, uh, has said that they don't want guns in church. In church. They just uh, tightened up their language. You know, before they said, um, it's not appropriate for you to carry your gun in church. Um, the, the change in language was carrying guns in church is prohibited unless you're active duty law enforcement. Um, so, and then the, the law in Utah uh, says that you are not allowed to carry a gun into church. Um, it's, so it's weird. It was kind of a compromise law. The way it, the way it's, it was uh, hashed out was Utah is going to say that it's illegal for you to carry a gun into a church and then any church who wishes to have that law enforced by the state of Utah needs to contact, you know, the Bureau the BCI or the Department of Public Safety um, every year to let them know that they want that to be enforced in their church. And um, so far, there are two churches in Utah that have asked that, for that law to be enforced. One of them, I think, is like the Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City, and the other one is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And um, the level of seriousness or the level of punishment that you will get if you violate that law is the same level of punishment you would get for getting a speeding ticket. So, so it's, not, it's not like it's a felony or anything. Sure. So it's a minor offense. So what is your remove all the law in that? What do you think about that? What do you think about the church saying, hey, you know what? Don't bring your gun to church. We don't want it prohibited. And it's not just Utah. The regulations, as I understand it, is the church in general. Don't bring your guns to church prohibited. Sure. But if you like we lived uh, briefly in Idaho and in Idaho, the state law says you're allowed to carry a gun at church, but you're not allowed to carry them in schools, even if you have a concealed carry permit. So the church's policy was like, hey, please don't bring guns, but the state, but there's no punishment for it. So I think um, what we've learned from studying active shooter events is that the way to minimize um, loss of life or the way to even deter someone from trying to do an active shooter event is to have the ability to stop it as quickly as possible. And what's telling is after the church made this you know, made this statement of no guns in church, about a week later they said, you know, they, they reminded everyone of their security policy updates, and one of them is following the federal guidelines called run, hide, fight. So what that, work, what that is is if you're an active shooter event and you're in a position where you can run away and get away from the shooter, you should do that. Uh, you're more likely to survive if you're not near where the gunshots are. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're unable to do that, then you need to hide, try to get yourself out of view of the shooter, and hopefully they will just not notice you and pass by you. But if that doesn't work, then you need to be prepared to fight the shooter and take them out. So the church is, they're saying we don't want guns in church, but they are acknowledging that in a situation like this, we're going to have to take action um, you know, if you don't if you don't take action, then we're just going to have to wait until the cops show up, and that's going to just more people are going to die. So I think with uh, you know as a as a policy as a policy statement, a lot all the experts who study 
violence, who study mass shootings, they all agree that um, the best way to either deter or stop a mass shooting is to have an immediate violent response to the shooter. So that means we need to, like if, you, if you're really serious about stopping it, we need to allow concealed carry because anyone, you know, if someone walks into a chapel and any one of the people in the chapel could suddenly, you know, spring up and start shooting at the attacker, like, they're not going to get that. They're not going to get very far. And if they, if any person who's planning an attack knows that if I go to this place, there's a very good chance that I'm going to be shot before I can cause any real damage, then they're going to change their planning. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to put the idea back on the back shelf for a little while and maybe uh, maybe change their mind later. That's one of the things that the um, the mass killer at the, the Walmart in El Paso mentioned in his manifesto. Mm-hmm. He said that he had he, he had kind of kicked off the idea in his mind maybe two months previous, and he felt an urgency like he needed to get it done before he lost his nerve. So um, doing something, at least empowering people to be able to give an immediate response is um, is the best way to you know that we know of to to um, you know stop a mass shooting or try to I want to say defect like prevent one or deter one from happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had mentioned with your guests like if you can have cops in the in the um, chapel like that's good you know. They would be able to be there, and they would be able to provide that response really quickly. But if you just if you just say, well, we want uniformed police officers in our church, and that's our plan, well, then the killer's planning process is going to be like, okay, that find the uh, find the uniformed officer and take him out first, and then nobody else can fight back, and then I'll have you know as much time as as I need to get that done. So. Uh- so I, I want to take a break for a second. I want to come back in the second block, and I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I know, one of the other ideas that I proposed, and that was just, how about not as many guns, or we figure out a way that maybe we shouldn't have, because w- what you're saying, I think, makes sense. I think people hear it. You know, if people are, are met with violence, they're less likely to go, you know, they're they're more likely to go where there is the less, the least path of resistance. So places like a church, like a school, those places where they can uh, truly be able to Im- impact and inflict as much pain uh, as frequent or as uh, as quickly as possible. So I want to take a break. I want to come back in the second block and I want to talk about maybe just like less guns and a couple other things too, based on some of the stuff that you've talked about. Uh, we'll do that coming back in the second block. I want to take a quick second and talk to you about Best DJ in Utah, now in its second year. Last year, I went to Washington, to Roche Harbor, and did a gorgeous wedding. This year, I'm slated to go to Moab, to go to Denver to do weddings. And guys, it couldn't be going any better. Thanks, in large part, to folks like yourself, people who are listening to this and say, you know what, I need a wedding or a mobile DJ for something, and then reach out to me. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. You can find me on all of the social medias, at Richie T. Stedman, or you can certainly just send me 
an email. Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E-T as in tough guy, Stedman, S-T-E-A-D-M-A-N at gmail.com. I would love to see what I could do to make your event that much better. Whether it's a party or the biggest day of your life, you need the best DJ in Utah. And like I said, it doesn't have to be in Utah. It can just be the best DJ in Utah. I don't know. Now we start to get into like the technical things. It's bestdjinutah.com. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. Ho, ho, ho! Danta Claus is here! Have you been a really good girl or boy this year? Hold on to your elf! It's the Ultra Mega El Grande Fluffy Holiday Sale at PC Laptops on the best desktop and laptop computers on the planet. This is it! We have the brand new PC Laptops S1 desktop computer with a lifetime parts and labor warranty from $799. You can also save up to 50% off our original prices on open box, scratch and dents, and demo models. That's right, up to 50% off. Plus, they all come with a lifetime service guarantee. Holy mackerel! To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptops, desktop, or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com, where we love you! It's time for the second block of the Cultural Hall, and I uh, want to remind you, go to KimoraTours.org, that uh, Leading Saints Cultural Hall church history tour that was going on the 16th through the 24th is in fact sold out. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with the folks at Kimura Tours and be put on a waiting list if you'd like to join us in that tour, uh, though likely it's going to be too late now, KimuraTours.org. However, I know you're thinking, wait, why would you even bring it up if it's too late? Um, there is a another tour that's going to be taking place the week before it's the 7th of July through the 15th, and there are still places for you to be able to get in on that. And the best part about that is with the one for the Leading Saints and the Cultural Hall, it was a uh, an adults-only tour. Well, this uh, one the week before is for family. So if you've got some high school-age kids uh, that you want to be able to experience the Hillcomore pageant before it goes away, it's no longer able to happen, you can go to KimuraTours.org, and all you have to do is just go click on the Tours tab, and then you You'll be able to see the July 7th through the 15th. You'll be able to find out what it costs, which, by the way, it's $2,000 per person. A great gift to give someone in your life, uh, whether that be a Christmas gift or maybe a birthday gift if they're coming up. They do want to get you booked on this uh, before the first of the year, so time is running out on that. But we start in Missouri. We go to Independence. We go to Liberty Jail. We go to far west Missouri. We go to Nauvoo. We see a couple of the pageants in Nauvoo on this tour. You get to go to Kirtland, Ohio. You get to go to Hiram, Pennsylvania. Uh, You get to go check out the Sacred Grove. And you get to go to Niagara Falls. It's a great, uh, great, great tour. And you can find out more information, like I said, by going to KimuraTours.org. did I say .org? And I, yeah, it's KimuraTours.org. I always think it's .com. It's always .org. Every single time. KimuraTours.org. And uh, tell Shannon that you heard about it from the Cultural Hall. Uh, he would love to hear that. And then plan on seeing uh, joining us next year because we'll probably do this tour again. Now, Dave. Good morning. How yeah. about, how, how, why not just less guns? Can we not do a less guns plan like everyone doesn't need to have 100 guns? Uh, well... The thing is, uh, there are some of the first guns that were ever made uh, still exist and still could be fired. 
Well, sure. So if you just say, like, less guns, like, guns last for a long time. My dad has a rifle that's a, a surplus British rifle that his dad bought after World War II. Um, I just saw an article that was released by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. They looked at um, sales data and different things from with the ATF, and their estimate is that from, you know, based on numbers from 1986 to 2018, uh, their estimate that is that there are 423 million guns in America right now. Right. So maybe do we just have enough? Can we just call it enough? Well, I think I think we've got I think we've got plenty. I think if you need a gun, I think you should be allowed to get one. Okay. Um, you had mentioned about um, semi-automatic uh, rifles and things like that. So for a rifle, so what semi-automatic means? It means when you pull the trigger, a bullet is fired. The um, the action of the gun cycles, and it kicks out the empty case and then loads another bullet into the firing position ready to fire. Right. And if you were to, if you were to pull a trigger on a semi-automatic gun and hold it for 100 years... It only it fire fires one the bullet. one. Yep. It would, yep, you have to let go of the trigger and then fire another one. Now that technology, I think that I looked it up once, and the first semi-automatic rifle that I could find was made by Mauser in like the 1890s. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like new. Um, and then an automatic, you know, or fully automatic, means that when you pull down, you pull down the trigger, it will fire around, kick out a casing, bring another round up in, and fire that, and it will keep cycling until you let go of the trigger or the gun runs out of ammo. That's like a machine gun. Mm-hmm. So when you say, why do we have all these semi-automatic guns? Well, every single handgun that police officers use are semi-automatic. The, the Glock, you know, Glock 17, probably one of the most common police handguns, is semi-automatic. John Moses Browning, who's a member of the church, by the way, had several designs of rifles that were um, semi-automatic. In fact, I think he invented the idea of a semi-automatic shotgun um, in the uh, the Browning A5. It's got a. It, if you look on old like gangster movies, you'll see that it's. But so semi-automatic has been around for a long time, and um, the thing, the problem with we're just saying get rid of the gun is uh, it doesn't get rid of the guns. It just makes it harder for the people who are interested in following the law to get them. And uh, if you remember a couple years ago, there were two terrorist attacks within the same year in Paris, France, one on the, um, the newspaper and one that uh, kind of a multi-tiered attack, but it ended up with like 100 people dead at a nightclub. Or, mm-hmm. And those guys... Like, France has very strict gun control laws, and those guys got full-auto, straight-up military-grade AK-47 into France, you know, somehow. Those are, those are full-auto machine guns that we, you can't just go down to the gun shop and buy one of those in America, um, you know, like you can with, with most other guns. So just saying, I wish this wasn't a problem, like, I'm sorry, but that's not how, that's not how the world works. You know, let's let's take the example of, uh, you know, here's a scary situation. Let's say your children is at school and the school catches on fire 
and your children are trapped inside and they die in the fire. That's a horrible, frightening, terrible situation. In the last 100 years, or at least 50 or 60 years, we have had zero children die from fires in the U.S. And the reason is because we looked at the situation, we kind of took a step back and analyzed it objectively, and we looked at the steps that we needed to take to ensure that children were safe from fire in schools. We changed the building codes so a lot of the building materials would, would be flame retardant. We put fire extinguishers every, you know, in every room and, and hoses throughout the hallways. And we teach people, you know, make them physically do a drill where you have to get up out of your chair when an alarm goes off and go with your, with your uh, class through the halls and go out to an area where we, uh, you know, where we then take roll, and that's, that's how we practice uh, doing a fire drill. And since we've implemented those changes, you know, nobody has died from a school fire in America, like, since we started doing that. So I, I understand that we don't, like, you know, I, I shouldn't have to say this, but, like, gun people are not a big fan of mass shootings, you know. I don't think any sane person is a fan of of uh, people getting trapped in a situation where they're shot and killed. Um, but just just wanting to get rid of the guns. Well, let's put it in this perspective. So there's 423 million guns in America. Do you know how many people die from guns every year? Off the top of my head, I don't. Obviously, that's a Google search away. But how many? It's between it's an average of between thirty five and forty thousand in America who die from guns. Now to put that in perspective, that's about the same number of people who die in car accidents every year in America, which is again, it's not acceptable. But if you took it look at the percentage, you know, you do the percentage of, you know, uh forty four hundred and twenty three million versus thirty five thousand or forty thousand you're getting into like tenths of a percent. So not very many guns are actually used, you know, in proportion to the American population and in proportion to the number of guns in America, not very many guns are actually used to kill people. And if you look at the numbers even further, probably about 60% of those deaths are suicides, which is, again, that's horrible. And that's a, that's a separate issue, and that's one we always want to work on. But, um, you know, Japan has a higher rate of suicide, I mean, higher, higher suicides per population than the U.S. does. They have very, very strict gun control. So I don't think, like, the existence of guns does not cause suicide to happen. Of course, you know, if you use a gun to commit suicide, you're more likely to die from it because guns, I mean, it's a gun. Um, but so if the remaining numbers, about 80%, you know, so you have, you know, 60% are suicides, the rest are homicides where a person uses a gun to kill another person. And uh, 80% of those are um, criminals shooting criminals. Um, and uh, so that's kind of like the, the drug gang uh, problem. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, the rest of those are police shooting, uh, killing people, and uh, regular folks using guns to... Um, work in, in self-defense. So, I mean, it's not like a lot of people die and they do get a lot of news coverage when they when they kill a bunch of people in a school. But if we look at, if we actually look at the problem, 
you know, if we look at the problem as if we're going to create policy that's going to deal with this, it's it's not, you know, we could we could uh, find a way to deal with suicide effectively. We could create legislation that would um, take away the incentives to be involved in a drug gang. Could probably get rid of a lot of homicides. Um, and but it has nothing to do with just taking away the guns. And further, if you look at some of the statistics on the use, the defensive use of a gun, there is a criminologist named um, uh, Gary Kleck who he wanted to figure out how many times guns are used in self-defense in a year in America. And based on his results, he, he found that it's about two and a half million times where people use guns to protect themselves. Now you'll say, well, two and a half million times is a lot more than, you know, 35,000. And that's the reason is that you don't need to kill your attacker necessarily to protect yourself with the gun. If someone breaks into your house and you yell to them, I've called the police and I have a gun, get out of my house, then they leave, then you, that, that counts. You used the gun. Sure. You protected sure. yourself. No one had to get shot. Good. Great. So, um, in fact, the, the, the CDC, which studies disease pathology and uh, pandemics, they didn't believe that number. And so they went and they tried to create, um, do their own survey, and they actually found their, their number that they came up with was like 2.7 million times per year. And um, then they never published that article and kind of tried to pretend like it didn't exist, and it wasn't until about 15 years later some journalists did a freedom of information request and was able to actually get a copy of that report and then release it to the world. So, so having a lot of guns, it doesn't equate to like a lot of death. So like if there were, if 1% of the guns in America, like I said before, if 1% of the guns in America were responsible for killing somebody, then we'd, we'd have 4.23 million deaths a year from guns. But we don't. We have 35 to 40,000. So people and that are, so people that hear this though, I think that there's, uh, I mean, certainly with the appeal of statistics, and you know it it certainly is a low uh a low number you know assuming obviously that the the facts and the figures that you're bringing are accurate and i have no reason to think that you would come and 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 you know say anything that you yeah, would feel like would be inaccurate but like if your yeah. wife died in a mass shooting i would think that you would find no comfort in me saying well you know statistically she had a really low chance, and I guess well, her you know her odds were not good. I guess on that day, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's horrible. And uh, you know, gun owners, we that that bothers us to no end when we see these things happen, and people are unable to fight back or unable to save themselves. And um, what happens is that the the people who do these mass shootings, they plan them specifically to cause. Um, maximum damage as much as they can. Um, and so they, they pick the spots where, like, you know, there's, I think there's one video of a guy who's just trying to rob a gun shop and it, it, you can see on surveillance it doesn't go very good for him. Because obviously, why would you run a, rob a gun shop? You're not going to punch. Everyone in there has a gun. Like, that's a bad idea. So they'll, so these guys will, they will specifically plan for places where they know that they can cause maximum damage. 
Um, and that's why, like, when I see a, like, you look at a, you look at a school shooting, and I wish that they would, I wish they would allow concealed carry, you know, like what we have in Utah. People say, oh, that, that wouldn't work, or, or, you know, I don't want any teachers carrying guns. And it's like, and you're, you're right, that's a straw man argument that we would be handing out guns to people and forcing teachers to learn how to use guns. Nobody's advocating for that. It's just simply allowing people to carry a gun for self-defense while they're at work and they have to work at the school. So it, if you look at... Is that the only solution as you see it? Is that in order to combat this, you feel like everyone or as many people as possible need to be able to have a gun, be able to be trained in the gun, and then we'll see these things go away or we'll just minimize them, you know, once they begin to occur because so many people are armed, you know, they'll mitigate it by, you know, violence on violence. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that it would definitively solve the problem, but it's something that we could do right now as a first step that would be really easy. It's just a legislative fix. You know, you change the law that says, if you have a concealed carry permit, then you can carry it at a, when you're at a school property, or you can you can carry it at uh, the way the the Utah law works for carrying a gun in a business is the business has the right to tell you that you can't carry a gun. They can post a sign, and you're not allowed to bring a gun in there. And the penalty for if you violate that law is that there's no penalty. There's no penalty for doing it. However. If the business owner finds out that you are carrying a gun, they, of course, as a business owner, can ask you to leave their property, and you can be cited for trespassing if you refuse. So I think that I don't think that would solve it, because I think, um, but that that would be like the first thing that we could do, and it would be a pretty easy thing to do. Um, I want to I want to uh, take an I want to take another break real quick, and I want to come back and I want to dive into that a little bit in the third block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, and I know that people are listening to this and they're thinking, man, where where is this going? What are we talking about? And it's really just a conversation about uh, two people discussing things about uh, guns, gun control, uh, concealed uh, permits and all that kind of stuff. Just based on a, a follow-up conversation, uh, Dave, who listens to the show for a while, said, hey, you know what? I'd really like to be able to talk about it. And we have always been a place for people to be able to express opinions here in the cultural hall. So I wanted to get him in. Uh, Dave, did you safely make it a, uh, around Omaha, Nebraska? Are we on the outskirts? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, good. We're, uh, we're past Omaha. We're past Gretna. Um, there's, a, there's actually an Army base. But I'm going to be passing here before before too long. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a I'll be passing an army base. 
I know I I know from listening that there were a couple of warnings that came from your GPS, so I just wanted to make sure that oh. your your trip was okay. And it's also interesting. There are several, um, both lifers, uh, those who have listened to the Cultural Hall from the very beginning, and converts, those who have found it, who uh, are truck drivers. So thank you to you and to all, all the other truck drivers who listen to the show. Uh, sure. I will say this. If you are not a Patreon subscriber of the Cultural Hall, take a second. Go to patreon.com, uh, and it's slash the cultural hall make a pledge Uh, those things help us be able to do all the stuff that you enjoy with the cultural hall like this interview but also things like uh you know have a website and uh have microphones to be able to record stuff so dave one of the things that i want to talk to you about is you know i i don't know that i can um dispute the idea that if more people had guns people would be less likely to do stuff because they would you know have a threat of violence or that those things might be mitigated. I don't know that that's a world that I want to live in. Um, I think that... Well, it's, it's the world you're currently living in. Ruthie. Well, and the, certainly the country that I'm living in. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I that I have a really big issue when we start to talk about uh, con, especially concealed um, carry permits, it is my understanding and has been verified from a couple of people that in order in the state of Utah, and this is different other places, but a lot of people get permits from the state of Utah because you don't actually have to live in Utah to get a concealed carry from Utah. It's, a, it's something that you don't actually have to demonstrate the ability to use a weapon to get a concealed permit. Uh, yeah, not in Utah. Yeah, they're like so. I just want everyone to get that real quick, so I can carry a weapon hidden on my person and be out in the public among a lot of other people. Yep. And and further under the under the the uh, the thing that you're talking about, like with the intent purpose of being able to stop or minimize mass violence, but. I can get that permit without even being able to demonstrate that I know how to shoot that weapon. Okay. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, when you've been out in the public driving in your car, have you ever gotten so mad that you just um, you know, maybe got into a road rage incident where you used your car to force somebody off the road? To f- use my car to force someone off the road? No. I've had, I've yeah, had fits yeah. of road rage, but I have never been that angry. Okay. Have you ever been uh, at a restaurant? Or I know how much you love uh, crying babies. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) Baby crying and uh, picked up the fork and walked over to their parents and stabbed them. Well, well, no. 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 So you're not a violent person. Right. You've shown good enough judgment that you've, uh, you know, avoided jail and stuff. You know, for your whole life so far. Well, I didn't say that, but I did say that I've never stabbed someone with a fork or driven. No, I'm just teasing. I'm kidding, of course. Right. Yeah. So, so you have the judgment necessary to avoid uh, inflicting violence randomly on people. Yes. So that's kind of the standard of uh, concealed carry. These are not violent, reckless people who are able to get the permit. If you were a violent and reckless person. Your criminal history would show that, and you would not be given a permit. Right. Now, so as far as the training requirement, one of the things that the concealed carry class teaches you is all the different ways that you can go to prison if you misuse the gun. 
the gun is only useful in a very narrow set of circumstances. Basically, if you believe that you are about to die right now, then you can use the gun to stop that threat to your life. If it's uh, if you're just walking down the street and there's just kind of a drunk homeless guy who won't leave you alone or is maybe kind of reaching for your bag or whatever, you you don't get to use a gun on that. That's not the that's not the the threat that allows you to use the gun. Um, one thing that has happened in states that do have a shooting requirement is that this. So the state recognizes that a person has the right to own a gun. Has the right to carry a gun, like that's a constitutional right, so the state doesn't want to make the shooting qualification so difficult that you would be actually, you know, using it as an excuse to deny someone a permit to get a gun. So the shooting qualifications are basically, here's a piece of paper, we're going to fire 50 shots at it at, you know, 10 feet away, and uh, if you can hit it with 35 shots, I and mean, this is just a hypothetical, but it's like if you can hit the paper with 35 shots, then you're good. Now, that's that's a pretty low standard, but what happens is when people go through that process, they do the concealed carry class, they do the shooting, and they say, well, I passed my class, I passed my shooting qualification, I'm good to go. And then they don't go on and they don't seek further training or they don't, you know, maybe practice as much as they should because they passed the class, they did it. They're all set. So by by not having a shooting qualification, um, the state of Utah is going to say, "Look, we can't we can't deny you the right to carry a gun. You're not a criminal. You're allowed to, and we're not going to tell you, you know, that what what the standard is that you need to protect yourself. You know what the laws are. You have a basic understanding of safety and kind of how to carry it safely and interact with people." But it's it's your responsibility to see to it that you have the skill to protect yourself. And so people realize that, like, oh man, like like you just told me, you're like, I can get a gun and I don't know how to use it. What's the next logical thought? I'd better go take a class. Then you'll go and you'll take a class and you'll build on your skill, and then you'll you might actually be competent someday. Um, so I, May- I think uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, or you don't, and then you have a gun on you, and you want to be the guy who saves the day, and you end up inflicting pain on yourself or other people unintentionally because you didn't know what you're doing. Well, let me tell you. So Arizona, a few years ago, um, they passed a law that said you do not need a permit in order to carry a concealed handgun. It's just if you are legally allowed to own a gun, then you can carry it however you see fit, concealed or otherwise. A lot of gun trainers in Arizona were worried that they were going to lose business because all of a sudden the state doesn't require people to go to their classes anymore. Um, the law passed anyway, and what happened is that their business increased because a lot of people realized, oh, I can carry a gun, and then they realized, oh, shoot, I don't know what I'm doing, and they would go and actually build the skill. So, um, you know, certainly there's going to be people who are careless, but um, uh, in, what happens is that more people actually realize they need training and they'll go seek better training. 
So, so we're reaching sort of the end of our time, and and what I hear from you, and so I'm going to let you have, for the most part, the final word in this whole thing, but what I hear from you is, yeah, guns aren't really the problem. It's bad people. We just need to have more guns in the hands of more people to mitigate the, the uh, opportunity for bad things to happen with other people. Is there, is, are there other solutions, or is there something that I'm missing within that? that you would care to counter? That's not, that's not the only solution. That's, it's too simple. The problem is more complicated than that. But I think at a minimum, uh, not that we need to have more, but we need to allow people to carry guns. There was uh, an event um, after one of the big shootings where some Utah concealed carry teachers, I think it was Clark Apotion, he put on a free event to teach Utah teachers how to how to conceal carry how to shoot and he had like he had to have multiple classes of like multiple thousands of people who came and wanted to learn so this is definitely it's not like you know maybe you personally aren't interested but i know you know based on what you were saying your wife wanted a taser for christmas she is a little interested in personal defense sure um and um if we look at the the shooting in parkman florida um, I mean, there was a failure of law enforcement on that part, but the kid who did the shooting was was the biggest, like, he could have worn a neon T-shirt every day that said, I'm going to shoot at school. Like, everybody knew that that kid was super violent. Like, you know, some kids in high school, their hobby is like, and their interest is like, you know, Magic the Gathering. This kid's interest was like killing things. Um, but the administrators, the adults around him were too afraid of, I don't, I don't know what, but they, they failed to put him into counseling, into a more controlled situation, in a situation where he'd be away from the general population to help him manage or teach him how to deal with his um, homicidal tendencies. They failed to give him that proper treatment or, or you know, maybe even involuntarily commit him to a mental institution and, um, you know, due to that failure, like 30 kids died. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, there, there are a lot of other things we can do. Um, but I think one of the, the simplest, cheapest things that we can do to start is, um, you know, look at, the, look at the situation accurately, have a true understanding of the problem, and allow people to be able to effectively defend themselves. You know, we ask everyone who steps into the Cultural Hall three questions, so I'll quickly ask them of you, and then I'll let you get your way out of Omaha uh, now that you're clear on the other side. Uh, first question is, Is do you have a calling, and if so, what is it? Um, currently, I don't have a calling. I think I'm, and it's just, it's, I'm, just um, I'm just not home a lot on Sundays. Um, I'm, it's not, not the way I like it, but it's just kind of how it is right now. It's the season of life that you're in. The second question, if you could pick a calling for yourself, what would you pick? Well, I really enjoyed teaching Elders Quorum uh, when I when I had the opportunity to um, do that a few times. So we were in a ward where they would, you would kind of sign up and be put into a rotation and they could call on you to teach a lesson. I really, I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed teaching people when I was a missionary. Um, I, I like I like teaching classes and, and, and doing that kind of thing. Where did you serve? 
the California Arcadia mission from uh, 2002 to 2004. Okay. Uh, and then the last question, you know what it is, but I'll ask it just the same. So it cues up you to be able to give a response is, what is your favorite part of your faith? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. My my favorite part of my faith is, um, and, and I mean, my experience may not be the same as everybody else's, but I feel like I'm able to verify that it's, it's real. Um, like for example, I'll uh, I'll tell people that I have. Uh... I think I lost you. What is it? All right, I'm gonna have to send you a message, and we'll have to finish this. I'll have to get you on another time. Hey Richie, it's Dave. Um, sorry, I apparently got cut off. There are a uh, there are a couple of uh, cell phone service black holes in Nebraska. Once you kind of start getting toward the middle of it. Um, but yeah, I'll, so we're talking about my favorite part of my faith. Um, for me, of course, this is just my experience, but I feel like my faith is verifiable. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you why. When I first read the Book of Mormon for the first time, I, uh, I felt the Spirit more strongly and clearly than I, than I had before, and that was pretty pretty soon to the time where I left on my mission. Um, I just, there was a sense of clarity and understanding as well as, you know, feeling happy that I, that I hadn't experienced. It was very memorable, stuck out in my mind. Later on, when I was going to college, um, one class in particular where it finally caught my attention, I took a basic introduction to meteorology class where you um, if you're going to be a weatherman, this is kind of the first class that does an overview of how the weather works, and then all the subsequent classes after that kind of get into the details and kind of get into the mechanics of how to um, read and predict the weather. And I remember pretty clearly in that class when I learned how um, clouds work, how thunderstorms, how you know water. Uh, you know, a, a hotter ocean could result in in more violent storms. You know, things that are things that are true about the way the weather works. I felt that same feeling of of kind of clarity and understanding, and I don't know. I guess enlightenment, not as not as strongly as when I read the Book of Mormon, but as we learn from the Scriptures, the Holy Ghost testifies of truth. And so, when I learned something true about how the weather works. The Holy Ghost testified of that, and it was the same um, basic type of thing as I felt when I read the Book of Mormon. So um, for that, I, I feel like, well, it's it's true. Um, at least the, the concepts that I was learning in the Book of Mormon were true. Um, and a few other things that happen, happened on my mission were just more uh, kind of validations of my feelings that it was true. Um, so... I feel like the the church is true. It's verifiable for me, and uh, and when there's times that maybe I'm not feeling the spirit all the time, I'm not able to go to church a lot. Um, that's an experience that sticks out in my mind that I can kind of remind myself that hey, I did I did experience this, and um, and it was a real thing that happened to me. So that's the favorite part of my faith. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body and that if you're not healthy enough to listen <laughs> this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row 
of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back. 